You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado Springs, this is Jenny Bayless, and I am back with another episode. And I'm really, really excited to have our guests on today, Mark, Taylor, and Jason. They are a uh, a partnership group that we've transacted with and we've done some really cool um, transactions with them. And they just have a really cool story about how they got started in investing. And I love um, how they've structured their partnership. And I would I think that they will be able to shed a lot of light because I think partnerships is a topic that not a lot of real estate investors really know about, um, you know, especially the nitty gritty of it. So um, excited to have them on. So welcome, gentlemen. How's it going? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be yeah. here. Yeah. So thanks so much again for for coming on. And I think you know the easiest way to start off is. Tell us a little bit how you guys got started in real estate investing and then how you guys formed your your group together. Great, great. Uh, well, Jenny, I'm Taylor. Let's see. AGV, uh, our partnership, goes back several years now. Uh, initially, it started with uh, Mark and myself, uh, each geeking out on Bigger Pockets books. And I think uh, trying to get closer and closer to pushing each other into actually doing our first transaction. Um, we both then um, bought, we each bought a home in Southern California that we could add an accessory dwelling unit to. Uh, that was our initial dipping the toe in the water, learning about what it was like to transact in real estate. And we immediately fell in love with it. Uh, and then what we saw was, wow, this is really fun. There's so much opportunity. Uh, but we need to add some really good rigor here. So we thought, what better than to bring in our third really smart friend, Jason, uh, to start thinking about um, transacting on a really systematic level uh, and being really diligent in our approaches um, for the different strategies as well as markets we wanted to employ and learning what it was to build a uh, real estate partnership. And to put some some timelines on that, this like, was around 2017, 2018 that Ted and I each got started separately. And then just about end of, I guess it was October 2019, Ted and I started working together, investigating a couple different options we could we could invest in. And then um, had that fun thing start in uh, March 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then once we, 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 at some point we decided to, to pull Jason in, then it, it took off a lot from there. Great. So what property did you get started in? What market? Um, so each of us, uh, like you said, we started in, in SoCal. Mm-hmm. And the first property that we got, I guess actually still, the first property that we got all three together okay. was in, in San Diego. Um, and uh, we can we can kind of go through the line of the properties or we can... Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be great context. Cool. Yeah, so we, we started with that one. Um, and the plan on that one was uh, expanding that with the accessory dwelling unit, the ADU plan. Um, that one's still in progress. It's a <laughs> long deal. Um, and then uh, I guess the next two were with you. Do you want to talk about this? Jason, you want to take it? Oh, um, so in terms of uh, Colorado properties, uh, we've got two there. There's uh, 8plex, um, which was the first one we acquired, and that went quite well. Uh, pretty much turnkey for the most part, um, with a little bit of repair required. And then the second property was a smaller duplex. 
um, which is also pretty turnkey. <laughs> Generally, have been quite happy with the Colorado market. Generally, we've been experimenting with different strategies. So for California, there's two buckets. There's our ADU bucket and then our short-term rental bucket. Uh, and then in Colorado, we're really doing... Um, we've got our uh, larger multifamily and smaller multifamily, which are both more uh, out of the box ready. That's that's a really interesting way of structuring it, and and like you you touched upon, you have different markets, different strategies, and you know just from the outside looking in, it seems like because you guys are local to California, the more hands on, probably you know, you know possibly better reward, definitely more headache properties are the ones that you guys are local to, um, and then you kind of have the set it and forget it method. Um, over in Colorado, is that kind of um, the the strategy that you guys went into um, originally, or did it kind of just fall in, into place like that? It's uh, a great question. Um, I think I would love us to uh, change our history so it sounds extremely systematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the uh, reality is it was an evolving strategy over time. Um, what we'd heard in uh, a number of the podcasts and books from from investors that we admired was find a strategy and really stick to it. Uh, invest deeply in that. And <clears throat> what we came back to was that sounds great. Once you know the right strategy to go to, yeah. But we wanted to test a few different hypotheses. We thought we're young. We have a lot of time to realize how these different strategies in different geographies perform, and then call it with one to two years of data on each of those respective strategies, pick the area we want to lean into. So that's really where we're at now is this maturation of um, our early hypotheses. And I imagine our next step will be leaning into one to two of them that we think have the most uh, juice to squeeze. Yeah, we, we, we heard the same advice from pretty much everybody. So we did the exact opposite. <laughs> but, you, but very rarely do I come across people that actually succeed in doing that, like usually shiny object syndrome is just a bad idea all around. And, um, you know, I think people find out quickly. It's like, yeah, you got you to pick one and specialize. So I'm very impressed that you guys are, I'll call you real estate generalists um, on that. I mean, that's pretty impressive that you guys are able to, to, to knock it out of the park. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that you have three brains working on this as opposed to just one person with their own, you know, set of views and strategy and, and circumstance. And you guys can work, um, you know, as a team to figure out s- solutions to problems that you might not have been able to figure out on your own. And, um, you know, just having worked with you guys on on two transactions here, I'm like so impressed with how you guys work on a team. Like I can tell you're like, so-and-so is the point of contact for this. Okay, great. Like, you know, you guys all work together behind the scenes. I don't know what you guys do on that, but you know, it's like you make it easy on your counterparts by saying like, you know, this is who you're going to talk to for, for this transaction. Um, so it's not, you know, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. So, um, can you explain a little bit how you guys, did you just naturally have really good swim lanes? Did it evolve, uh, with you guys stepping on each other's feet? Like, Tell some, tell some, uh, you know, stories uh, as to how you guys refined it so well. I'd say definitely also an evolving strategy there. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, I think it, it really helps that we're all really good friends. I mean, we, we've been telling I've been friends for I guess six years now, so seven years. Um, and Jason, the last couple of years, we're, we're all roommates. 
So we know each other super well. We know how to get through any conflicts that happen you know, as you go through the businesses and everything. Um, and then also, I think, I think just from our day jobs, I mean, this is all, this all has been in addition to our day job. So I think at least for myself, I've been modeling a lot of how we work after our day job where it's like, I don't, I don't really know anything about that space and I'd, I'd love to, sure, but I don't have time to deal with all of that. So Jason, you got it, man. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I mean, I think the, the modeling off of how work works, like the, the day job works, and then just not having time to do anything different, I think that's where it came from for me. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I would say this specialization we've all fallen into has helped in inform how we can test a few of these different strategies. Because uh, I think if we were each doing one soup to nuts um, for each strategy, I think it totally would have flopped. Uh, but what we found across buying uh, these short-term rentals, some of these turnkey properties, and some of these construction projects uh, is that there are consistent steps along each of those workflows uh, and by specializing, say, on deal analysis or automating the sourcing um, to owning all of the contractors and subs that you work with or building up your Rolodex of local experts. By specializing, I think that has allowed us to test multiple hypotheses because you know you have a counterpart that knows the next step um, and you can trust to hand off to. That's great. So you guys went into it saying you know, these are my lanes, these are your lanes. And obviously it seems like, you know, you you tweaked it as as time went on, but you guys went into it with that mentality. And I think that, I mean, it's very simple, but very, I mean, very smart idea, you know? So <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Like, I think it speaks to real estate in general. Like nothing is, you know, very, very complex. It's just difficult and you just have to figure out a plan and you it just work to get through it. So... Um, I think that's fantastic. So did you guys have any um, any advice to people? I know you mentioned that uh, you have a, you had a thousand dollar a month bookkeeper and I would I would love that job. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> so so how did you guys fill in the gaps for you know things that you didn't quite understand? Yeah, I mean I think that's that's one of the biggest things about starting a business of of any kind. I mean, you can learn a specific tool set, but if you're doing a full business, which of course this requires, there are so many different pieces where you, like none of us want to become CPAs and understand everything about taxes and do all of that. So we we have to we had to figure out a lot of balances between how to effectively leverage a really good team and find that good team, and then also in order to get there, you also kind of need to know what you're trying to do. So uh, the accountant thing is, is a funny learning experience there where we spent a good amount of money and, and also a lot of time working with this first accountant team that we, that we were with for about a year. And uh, they generally did great work, but it also, we didn't really know what that meant and what they were doing. We kind of just said like, sure, this pass this off to you, whatever you ask for, we'll just give that to you. And, um, and eventually, we're, like the, the, the time seemed to be going up and the prices seemed to be going up. And eventually we said, I, I, I just can't imagine that this is what is necessary. So we did some research and we, we did some testing out. And we talked to them a little bit and decided, you know what? Let's just, let's just try it ourselves. QuickBooks is pretty straightforward and hopefully this works. And, uh, and 
Well, yeah, well, we, we said like, let's part ways and, and maybe we'll go back to them. Maybe we'll find a different accountant or something, but let's at least try this. And after doing it, I mean, it took a few days to, to ramp up. But at this point, I, I wish we'd done this earlier, not just for the money and the time, but even just to work with that accountant better. Like, even if we did want to work with an accountant, we have the, the experience and learnings that would have been so helpful in working with them. And uh, I think it's just it, like we've, we've now learned somewhat of the language that we needed from them uh, or that we need to work with them. And uh, I think that was a huge learning along the way. Yeah, I know that you guys um, really like to highlight, uh, what do you call it, return on time, uh, you know, other than your return on investment. So kind of, would you be able to elaborate a little bit, like what you guys mean by that and, um, you know, kind of what you've learned along the way? Yeah, I think you were talking about this, the cash on cash. Yeah, cash on yeah. Well, when I started, um, I was sort of a newbie to the real estate thing um, when Mark and Taylor brought me in and uh, just immediately got obsessed with looking at cash on cash. Like it was the only thing that mattered. <laughs> and uh, we found a deal up near Yosemite um, where we purchased a property for short-term rental. And the cash on cash has been quite good. But uh, what I didn't consider was... Uh, cash on time because that was a, a huge time commitment just to get it ready, even though it wasn't a large capital outlay. And looking back at it, we just realized, hey, we could have gotten such higher leverage by uh, spending that time and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you have to factor both for uh, cash on cash as well as cash on time when you're considering <laughs> what to do. Yeah. yeah. I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Taylor. No, uh, all I was going to add there is there's this interesting dimension of time both during the construction or launch process as well as in the steady state maintenance of it um, in that we found both certain projects have either or or both <laughs> <laughs> um, heavy upfront cost from a time basis or heavier maintenance cost and i think having those dimensions is really important as you start to think about the scalability of any given investment strategy. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fantastic. I know, um, you know, Chris Lopez, he's a really big proponent of, you know, when people people have day jobs such as yourselves, you know, and they come to us and they say, you know, we want a burr. It's like, okay, that's great. So you're going to, you know, do direct marketing. Like, what are you going to do to acquire this property? Okay, well, you spent 500 hours trying to find a property. You could have just worked at your job for 500 hours and, made up the difference, you know, and you're probably more efficient at your job because that's what you've been doing for, you know, a history of time. So it's just, yeah, I think that that's a really important, um, you know, facet that a lot of people don't um, think about until you're in the thick of it. And you're like, man, I just got myself a second job and I could probably be probably make more at my at my day job uh on an hourly basis <laughs> at that point. Totally. And it's also it's also like thinking about what what deals you want to be looking at. Like we we had a handful of filters, right? Like we we put together spreadsheets of um uh to, to model the returns that we'd be getting, be able to put in deals that we see and calculate them that way. But as Jason said, we were we were pretty locked in on cash on cash as the main metric, which it's a great metric. But if I told you that I can give you like a 15% cash on cash for something that took $20 and it's a <laughs> hundred hours of time, as opposed to something that's going to take a million dollars and give you, take also like 20 hours of time. You, you really, I mean, if I can give you like a 5% cash on cash on the million dollar thing, you should definitely take that over the $20 one, especially given that the time is so substantial. 
Yeah. Uh, short-term rentals like that. That one short-term rental, you have to apply for the permit for that one, just the same as a, you know, if it was a substantially more expensive short-term rental. And that amount of time is going to be consistent either way. So that was a big, that was a big learning for us too. Yeah. I think you guys um, are so successful because you all are very self-aware at what you are good at, what you want to do, what your time can be best spent on. And I think, I think that's really hard for a lot of people to figure that out. Um, You know, I personally, it took me forever to figure out like, okay, what is it that I'm actually like good at in real estate investing? And um, I think you guys were like very quick um, (laughs) to be able to figure that out. So that's probably why you're on such a a high trajectory on that. Um, So I do want to go into Colorado Springs as a market, but um, you mentioned that you have a, a, a property that's a bit of a headache that, um, you said that you have about 15 K in and you have to restart the process. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll just kind of, uh, tell everyone that story so we can, you know, hear, hear, um, kind of the low end and then we'll move to, to the high end after that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's been, that's been a lot of my time. Um, so yeah, this is the, this is the duplex in San Diego that we were initially planning on making a triplex, turning uh, the, the garage into an ADU. And relatively straightforward, we validated that it was going to be within the, the regulations and everything. And so then we asked around, got a quick rec for an architect, and, and he'd worked with, with a, a, a construction team we talked to. And so we worked with him for a handful of months. He put it in through the permit process. Of course, the permit process was fast and very easy. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it it started out with a long estimate, and then that doubled over time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Like this started in 2020, so you know, it's like the you can't go into the city and say, "Hey, like, what's going on? Can I speed this up in any way?" Because everything's just fully closed at the time. So anyway, that took a long time, and eventually we got the permit. We're all super excited. We're you know we're we're, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we talked to a couple different construction teams because we'd, we'd started talking to the one, but now we're at the point of construction where we're like, okay, let's let's find a few and kind of evaluate bids now that we have exactly what we're ready to build. And we decide on a team, we're talking to them, send over the permits, connect them to the architect. And they're saying, hey, we're seeing some discrepancies between the plans and what's real. <laughs> like there's... Oh no. <laughs> there's a wall here. <laughs> like, yeah. I the property and I saw there's a wall and it's not on the plans. And I said, oh, shoot. I mean, I, I didn't go through the plans. This kind of goes back to like knowing just enough as you outsource. So like same with the accountant, if we'd known enough of how architecture works, this would have been helpful. So yeah, we, uh, we talked to the architect and he says, ah, oh, that's fine. Here, let me, I'll, I'll scribble something on there and it should be fine. And that that same conversation happened several times with more walls and more supports and hey hold on we're not even seeing an entire set of of really load bearing things here why is that not in the plans look they said hey look we we can do this we will do it if you really want to the same you know price is all there but a hundred percent you're gonna have massive delays you're gonna you're probably gonna have to go through the whole redesign process re- reapply for the permit I don't think you want to do that. So eventually we, we couldn't get the, the updates that we were hoping for to the plans and just, okay, let's trust these guys. Let's go with their architect, um, redesign it in a way that they know that they're going to be happy building it. They know they'll be strong and safe and, and go through. So, yep. So now we're set back about a year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
We'll make it. Yeah. yeah. We should have known when our first plans were drawn in crayon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's all like some cost thing. Like we've we've gotten pretty good at being like, okay, what's the reality of today? What do we need to do to get to where we want to be? Okay, forget what we had. That wasn't right. Let's let's move forward. That's yeah. What one thing I throw in there is a topic that um, Buffett talks about a lot of margin of safety. Because I think one thing that uh, did turn out quite well at the San Diego property was uh, our purchase was um, good enough that we allowed ourselves a margin of safety where it's still likely to be our best performing property despite the huge delays we've hit. Um, And I think that's a portable concept of just allow yourself room to screw up. (laughs) We'll be in a good place. (laughs) Yeah, the, uh, the, the like having multiple exit strategies is one thing that I've really learned from from the kind of research, listening to podcasts like this. Um, knowing that if if our whole ADU plan just fell apart entirely, we still believed in the San Diego market. We mm-hmm. thought that would go up. We also knew that it was not going to be cash flow negative five thousand dollars a month or something in the process. It's 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 been fine. Um, so yeah, exactly as you said, we we had several rounds of marginal safety there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I can't hammer home contingency planning um, enough because everyone makes mistakes, whether it's large or small, like you're going to make a mistake and you just kind of have to hope that it's on the smaller end of things. <laughs> but it's definitely, you know, you're going to you're going to learn in the process. And, um, you know, I imagine that what you guys have learned through this project, even though really frustrating, like you said, once you come off on the other end of it, it's going to be far and away, you know, your best property. So it's going to be worth it and worth all the headaches. And you've learned a lot in the in the meanwhile, so that you can apply that to the next project uh, that's similar to this one. Um, so speaking of markets, uh, I would love to pivot as to how you guys got interested in the Colorado Springs market. Well, Taylor pulled out a map and, and we put a couple of blindfolds on. It's <laughs> just through a dart. No, actually completely opposite. <laughs> um, that was, we, we spent a good amount of time on this. And, and I, I think we, there are some places we got caught in analysis paralysis, but this is one where I think we just did a really good due diligence on, on, on locations. Um, we started out by pulling as much data as we could from the internet. The, the, uh, Census Bureau and the Bureau of Labor Statistics has a lot of data out there on populations, employment size, employment growth, employment sectors, um, uh, median income, stuff like that. So we took all of that and, and it actually had something like 50,000 cities in there. So this wow. is, this is before, yeah. Um, really glad we weren't doing this analysis manually. <laughs> um, and so we put that in the spreadsheet. Um, We've had a handful of hard filters. We didn't. We didn't want to look at cities that had two thousand uh, people in the population or something. Um, that just we we want to make sure that there would be a, a large set of people who'd be looking to rent the apartments. Um, we wanted to find places that had growing employment over the past. Uh, it, it has a lot of data, so it was over the past I think ten years. Um, and we also compared that to the last twenty years or something as well to just see see a couple different metrics there. Um, we, we did a hard filter on, um, the employment sector cause we wanted to make sure it wasn't, we didn't go to a city that was so dependent on one thing. You know, if you go to 
some places that are really dependent on oil and oil goes down and you're kind of in trouble. So we wanted to have a variety there. Um, and then I guess, yeah, so we, we put all that, the, a couple hard filters to get out, to, to chop off a lot, um, and then created a, a bit of a weighting ranking so that we could get a, a hard ranking of cities. Um, we actually felt really good to start because like the top 10 cities were all like the top 10 hottest markets. Of oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think it was like six or seven of those 10 were Denver, Phoenix, um, Seattle, San Antonio. Like it was, it was pretty strong. Um, and, uh, one of the top, I think it was in the top 20 or so was Colorado Springs. And that's, that's what pulled us here. We wanted to be in a place that wasn't absolutely bonkers because we wanted to be able to find some cash flow. And Colorado Springs was at that, that Goldilocks position where we feel good about the growth of it. And we also saw opportunities for cash flow. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, um, yeah, we can talk offline, but uh, you guys are doing pretty well uh, with property value uh, since you guys bought. So <laughs> it's pretty phenomenal. So yeah. how did you guys land on, you wanted a large multifamily? Um, you know, you didn't want to get your feet wet. You just went all in and, and got an eight unit um, on your first go here. So um, tell us a little bit about that. Let's see. Goodness. Mark, I believe that you came to us with the, the deal and had just um, kind of baked out the numbers and presented your case. And um, I, I remember we were uh, both encouraged by the returns looking very good and uh, a little nervous um, <laughs> because we'd never, never done a deal that large. Um, and then uh, we also weren't familiar with commercial lending, so we weren't sure how big of a challenge that would be. Um, but we thought it was it fit into our um, plan to explore explore different strategies to understand what we would want to concentrate on longer term. And so we had this idea that we wanted something in the multifamily bucket. And this just looked like a really good option. Um, so we went for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Jason hit on it well. Um, like we mentioned earlier, we we have a number of strategies we wanted to test. Uh, all is just hypotheses to see what was the interesting angle for us to pursue. Uh, and uh, a good hypothesis here that we honestly stumbled into is this notion of five to 10 plexes being too small for a lot of the large scale institutional investors, um, but too either psychologically or financially large for some of the, re the retail investors because there's that commercial lending hurdle. Mm -hmm. uh, and sample size of one, we found that property to uh, <laughs> that hypothesis. So, um, so we're, we're pretty excited by that vein um, of small commercial properties. Yeah, I completely agree with, with your thoughts on that. Um, like you said, commercial lending is very daunting and there's a lot of terminology and just concepts that are just totally foreign to, you know, residential one through four unit um, investing. So, um, you know, Preston on the team, he, uh, works very lockstep with, um, multifamily broker that, that, um, multifamily lending broker. Um, and so he was really able to kind of give you the lay of the land on that and just say, you know, most of my clients, they'll, they'll do this, 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 and, um, you know, hopefully be able to guide you so that you guys were able to make your own, you know, individual decision, um, uh, as to how to structure that deal. Um, but, 
Yeah, I, I imagine it's doing really well. <laughs> yeah, and I do want I, I want to make sure that we also say I, I, I this wouldn't have been possible without you and your team. hundred uh, percent. Like I I am pretty sure that you sent it to us. Um, I, I Jenny did not ask us to say this, but I would recommend <laughs> Jenny to <laughs> your, your agent team here. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I, I also think like the the intimidation factor of the commercial lending and the you know it's larger than four units now what do I do about that um, it's it's definitely scary I was scared a bit um, and we also haven't gone through selling a commercial property so maybe there's some more like scary water to to wade through but um, I think that's also partly why we did a lot of our diverse strategy here we're kind of seeing this as uh, we've done five or six deals here and um, it's really the beginning of a long career of investing. So next time we're not going to be thinking, oh, well, we've already done all this, but we, we I've heard about this short-term rental. I want to try that. We're going to be like, oh, well, this is what happened when we did this. We're, we're not going to be thinking uh, like large multifamily sounds exciting, but also very scary. We've never done anything. We don't have the, the, the business backing to do that. We have. We have yeah. that. So, I mean, it's, it's all just the first step. But I think as we think about this in like a 30-year time frame, it's it's been a big base. Yeah, well, we appreciate the plug <laughs> on that. But yeah, I, I'm so happy for you guys that you guys were able to take this one down. I mean, beautiful building. Um, and somehow we managed to get a free uh, sewer line out of it. So that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so never, never, uh, never expected that. So we were pretty happy about that for you guys. But um, yeah, so then you guys ended up doing a duplex in a really cool part of town. Um, what made you decide same thing? Just, Hey, we haven't done a small multifamily, um, you know, traditional multifamily, not an ADU uh, multifamily. Is that kind of where you guys landed on that? You just look good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that was about learning as it was about just a good investment. Yeah. I think this was the, uh, the, the the risk of working with Jenny, and she just finds really good deals. So you know, like, well, right, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I think immediately we just saw it as a really, really good cash flowing opportunity in one of Colorado Springs' best neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So it struck us as you know a B plus on cash flow and an A on appreciation. Um, so it really struck us as something we couldn't say no to, and then. Uh, post hoc or after the fact, uh, I think it provided again another interesting data point on um, really running a huge number of properties through our deal calculator uh, and thinking about speed in that time dimension Jason talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh, of deploying capital quickly for those good wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I think that's something after the fact we, we've been able to systematize a bit more in um, subsequent markets, uh, particularly markets that have lower purchase price. Mm -hmm. So you want to find more deals more quickly is uh, um, first learning how to really analyze deals well, and then learning how to fully abstract yourself. Uh, We've gotten the process down now, thanks to uh, some offshore support of people that manually enter a lot of the information into our spreadsheet of taking down analysis from taking one of us you know, 15, 20 hours a week down to taking now 15 minutes to analyze a week where you can just look at what's green, what's yellow and what's red on this calculator we have facilitated by the team that, uh, that supports it. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So then do you guys take your green properties and run it by your local boots on the ground? Say, hey, you know, what are we missing here? Is that is that kind of your strategy for that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, way we way we think about it is I think there's a tops down approach or a bottoms up approach to finding good deals in a market. Mm-hmm. Um, you either have really great hyper contextual knowledge that allows you to find a good deal, or you brute force and run every deal that is in the market <laughs> through your calculator. <laughs> and what we found is um, we bias towards that latter approach, particularly for out of state investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to your question on the life cycle of it, what it looks like is. Uh, get plugged in with a realtor that you like, get those MLS listings, um, start a process to source those properties and get the information plugged into the spreadsheets. So purchase price, anticipated rehab, um, anticipated rental value, and then it automatically outputs property taxes, insurance, vacancy, CapEx, OpEx, et cetera. Um, and then you get that preliminary, likely very uh, rose-colored lenses, cash on cash. Um, and then what we do is look at that every day um, and then send it to the local boots on the ground property manager and real estate agent. Uh, and if it passed the sniff test by both of them, uh, put in an offer and then go through the typical diligence process. That's great. I mean, I just love that everything you guys do is systemized. Um, but you have that human element to it um, as well as your, as your like ultimate sanity check and everything that you guys have, have done so far is you, you know, you have that soft touch to it, whether it be cash on time or, you know, localized knowledge. So I think that's a really smart way of doing that. Um, I think that speaks really well to, to your point on the human aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we first started real estate investing, we thought it could be a purely quantitative thing. <laughs> where you input these numbers and you're like, I'm a genius. Everyone else is an idiot. Why have they not figured this out? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wow. We've just picked the absolute worst markets. Like, yeah. This property is actually charred from the inside out. <laughs> it's on a sinkhole, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's, that's one of the big learnings for us is, um, you know, any good deal needs to have strong financials. But strong financials alone definitely do not make a good deal. Yeah. There's so much more than just the preliminary financial analysis that informs what makes a long-form strong deal. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love everything you guys just said on that. Yeah. Um, so I know you said that you have a, a unique story um, as we wrap things up. So, <laughs> so can you guys tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Taylor, I feel like you were most in the weeds on that one. <laughs> So um, this is for one of our vacation rentals uh, in uh, in and next to Yosemite National Park. Um, it was a fixer-upper property that we were really excited by. It had lovely bones. Uh, the diligence process was quite long because we were dealing in a rural community, so we were learning how to figure out septic systems. There were some structural issues we needed to fix. So it turned a, a 30-day contract into about a I think a 60 or 75 day contract. Uh, but we finally hit it. We saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Deal was ready to close. Uh, and then about five days prior to uh, closing, we got a frantic call from our mortgage broker who's like, guys, why'd you pull out of this deal after all this hard work? Everything looked good. Uh, we're like, 
what are you talking about? No, no, We're no. obviously doing this deal. <laughs> um, we then find out, um, he goes, someone just talked to me. It was a woman who said the deal was done. No one wanted to make it happen. And the transaction was canceled. Uh, turns out um, the seller had a secret, uh, who is about an 85-year-old man, had a um, secret girlfriend that <laughs> wanted the property for herself, uh, was disappointed to hear that the transaction was happening, um, and <laughs> tried to complete it by uh, canceling the mortgage, uh, canceling the loan, excuse me. Uh, so not only did we have to unwind that, that then delayed the deal again because I think there was some familial issues going on with people, uh, who had a secret girlfriend. But uh, the contract begrudgingly closed. We got some, uh, uh, some angry, angrily worded uh, messages over the subsequent days. But it's uh, since been a really solid project for us, a really solid vacation rental. And uh, we got a, good, uh, got a good bar story from it. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good story. That's the first I've ever heard something like that before. So... Always yeah. a very good sign if if you, someone even vaguely related to the seller is clamoring to keep it. <laughs> also, it's so great to have our, our Chad as our, our broker that we're working with, and it's good that we're friends with him because he was like, ah, mm, "Hold on, yeah. <laughs> I think I know these guys. Let me talk to them first. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so good that he double checked so that you didn't let something just you know let the time run out in some some aspect. And yeah, I can't even imagine. So we'll we'll have to make a proposal to the you know the real estate board to add like a secret girlfriend contingency <laughs> date so we can you know do your due diligence on that. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a good one. So, um, so as we wrap up, I would love if you guys could maybe each. I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot here. Each give um, the best piece of advice that you could to a new investor. I, I can start with that one. I'd say um, I'm probably the most risk averse of the three. So I, I really needed a lot of like figuring out how to get through this and, and get to do such a big jump. Um, and so for me, the, the, the solution to the anxiety here and the fear is um, learning as much as I could and preparing as much as I could. Um, knowing everything I could about how to analyze the deals and, and understanding what metrics matter and, and how to analyze, create those metrics for, for a property. That was really, really helpful. And, and I got there by reading a few books as well as listening to as many podcasts as I could. And after a lot of podcasts, probably <laughs> 100 episodes of different podcasts, um, I started to realize that there's a lot that you can predict and, and project and do the best that you can, and you'll get a lot of value out of that. And then there's a lot that you really can't, and you just have to be ready to, to take whatever punches come at you. And um, I promise to anybody who's, who's new, I promise if you keep listening to, to people like us, you'll realize we're not particularly special. <laughs> <laughs> just doing the best that we can and, and working hard, and, and you can get there. Yeah, I would say it's, it's not as hard as you think. Just get started. And if you're um, nervous, start with something small. Mm -hmm. I like that. What would I say? Um, I would say bias to action and be patient. Um, I think there's... there's <laughs> A little this... bit of an oxymoron right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's called poetry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
think there's this duality of one bias to action. Uh, Like Mark mentioned, it's really easy when you're taking that first leap to allow fear to inhibit you uh, or to really prevent you from taking a small step forward. Uh, And my bias would be just lean into analyzing the properties or meeting the real estate investor, really just start to focus on getting that repetition on that muscle um, for any given step you're working on next. And similarly, uh, be patient with the outputs of each of those work inputs you do. And that when you start and when we started, um, we felt so much anxiety about losing a given deal. Mm -hmm. Biggest thing I've seen over time is there will always be a number of good deals. You know, keep running on it. Don't compromise to get yourself into a really bad position. Just bias towards that action and that energy. Uh, and you will find that good deal with that daily incremental progress forward. Love it. Well, I, I really appreciate the insights and the stories and just, you know, kind of sharing your whole background with everyone. Um, Mark, Taylor, Jason, thank you so much for for coming on our podcast. We will have your, um, you know, your contact information in our show notes. So anyone who wants to reach out to you uh, can can get a hold of you and the methods that you've uh, you've outlined. So again, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time and and sharing with our audience um, everything that you've learned. Thank you, so thank much, you, Jenny. <laughs>